Well, good morning. Thanks for coming this morning, especially if you're a visitor with us. And uh, I did want to mention, um, stop by our Welcome Center, and we have a coffee thermos, coffee mug. And uh, these are amazing. I just wanted to say, I've learned that if you put hot coffee in here, it should stay hot for the rest of eternity. It's so amazing. But uh, that's our way of saying thank you for being with us this morning. But uh, we've been working our way uh, through the book of Esther, and I'm excited to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, We've been working through the book of Esther the past few months, and what an excellent study this has been about a remarkable woman of God. And uh, today we're going to take a little part of that story and a little uh, part of Esther's character and talk about that a little more in depth this morning, because we're going to talk about courage. Uh, Esther was a woman who was full of courage, wasn't she? Amazing courage. Courage makes a difference in life. Courage makes a difference in life. There was a man by the name of Gil Dodds, and he was a track star, and he was a world record holder in the mile at one time. And uh, he ended up being a coach at Wheaton College. In fact, while my dad was running track there, But when Gil Dodds was an athlete, uh, he was once preparing for a race, and after a series of warm-ups and running around the track several times, uh, just before the race, he quickly went and put on a different pair of shoes. And someone in the stands yelled down to him, why are you changing your shoes? And so Gil Dodds tossed up one pair, or one one, uh, warm-up shoe and one racing shoe to this fellow in the stands, and the man was puzzled because there was no detectable difference between the two. They both looked the same. They both seemed to weigh the same. But then Gil explained that there was indeed a difference because the warm-up shoes were slightly heavier than the racing shoes. And though it was a small difference, saving that small amount of weight... He said, spell the difference between victory and defeat. And this morning, I want us to see that courage is like that. It does that for a person. The small issue of courage spells the difference in our lives between victory and defeat. The book of Esther is about 10 chapters, but think of how many chapters the book would be if Esther lacked courage. I'm thinking maybe two chapters, maybe three chapters. Or can you picture for a moment with me the story of David and Goliath? And think if that young shepherd boy was like the other men and lacked courage, how would that story have ended? Really, there would have been no story. There would have been no slingshot. There would have been no five little stones. A giant would not have fallen. A victory would not have been won. But courage... Courage made the difference in that story. So I'm excited to be able to talk to you this morning about uh, putting on the courage shoes. Putting on the courage shoes in life. And you probably thought this guy would show up. This is, you remember him probably quite well, the cowardly lion. This is actually a picture of Bert Lair dressed up as the well-known cowardly lion from the Wizard of Oz. And he wore this costume of real lion's 
fur throughout the entire production with the hot lights of Technicolor beating down on him. And he said it was unbearably hot. And in this costume, he sang the words to that song, If I only had the nerve. You will be glad I will not sing it for you this morning. But listen to some of the lyrics. Yeah, it's sad, believe me, Missy, when you're born to be a sissy, without the vim and verve. But I could change my habits, never more be scared of rabbits, if I only had the nerve. I'm afraid there's no denying I'm an awful dandelion, and it's a fate I don't deserve. But I could show my prowess, be a lion, not a mouse, if I only had the nerve. And my guess is you probably sang that song to yourself in a slightly different tune because at one point or another in our lives, we've all wanted a little more nerve. If I only had the nerve in life, look what I could do. Sometimes it takes courage just to face the day. It's like that prayer. Sometimes uh, it's like that prayer that says, Dear Lord, so far I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper. Haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. You see, courage is required for almost every area of life. We need courage for almost every area of life. And many of us as kids learn courage from an adult in our lives. You could probably think of someone that modeled courage for you. And for me as a young person, my grandfather modeled courage for me, although it was a brand of courage that was a little bit more on the dangerous side. I remember a story he told us of when he and my grandmother were camping once, and well, at night, uh, they were in their tent, and a bear was getting into their cooler on the picnic table. So he grabbed the hatchet from under his pillow, and he confronted the bear with his hatchet held above his head, a few feet away, the bear stood up on its hind legs and he slowly backed that bear into the woods where it then ran away. Another story he said when my grandparents were at their farmhouse, a tornado funnel was spinning itself right towards their house and they were headed for the cellar when the wind from the storm blew down the trapdoor of the attic. And so you can picture that the entrance to the ceiling is, in the attic is is down and the wind is howling outside and my grandmother scrambles to the cellar waiting for my grandfather and the tornado came by and blew down the barn next to the house then it went across the road and blew down the neighbor's barn and my grandfather never came to the cellar because he was in the attic investigating what could have possibly blown down the trapdoor. And so you can see Learning courage from my grandfather was very dangerous, and it earned me many trips to the emergency room to stitch up my face, and I can show you the scars later if you'd like to. But sometimes we have to admit, sometimes there's a fine line, isn't there, between courage and stupidity. There can be a fine line between those two, and sometimes we wonder, am I on the courage side of things, or am I on the stupidity side of things? And I can imagine as Esther was going through her story and her life, there was sometimes she would ask herself that question. As she's going into the royal court, is this courage or am I just being a fool? 
I can imagine she would ask herself that question. And I'm not sure where you learned your courage from, but this morning we want to take a look at Scripture and see how it is that God wants us to learn courage in life. How does God want us to learn courage? Because at the end of the day, if we want real, biblical, authentic, lasting courage, we have to go to the principles of the Bible that God's given us. And so we're actually going to take a look at the book of Joshua. You can turn there in your Bibles with me this morning to Joshua chapter 1. Uh, we see the example of courage in the life of, of Esther. And what I love about Esther is that she demonstrated that courage is not limited to men on the battlefield. But she demonstrated courage as a woman in the royal court. And she was a heartbeat away from uh, authority, the authority of, uh, uh, and the kingdom, uh, and the power, and the kingdom of Persia. And uh, it was when she had the most to lose, she was willing to speak the words that revealed the most about her character. I just love it when she said those words, if I perish, I perish. Think about the significance of those words. Where was she able to muster up the courage to speak those words? Winston Churchill said, fear is a reaction, courage is a decision. And so we come to Joshua chapter 1. We want to look at starting at verse 7. God is talking to Joshua and he says here in verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What's going on here in this passage? We learn that Moses is dead. Moses is dead and the people are heavy with grief and emotion at the loss of their leader. Moses was like no other. At that time, no one was greater than Moses who had ever lived. And here we have the children of Israel on this side of the Jordan, numbering about maybe two to two and a half million people. And they stood on this side of the Jordan, looking over at the promised land at the other side of the Jordan River. And God is... And Joshua is being commissioned by God in this passage. And God says, if you're going to go to the other side, you need to take something with you. You're going to need to take courage with you on the other side. Could I suggest for a moment those things in life that require courage? You see, today it takes courage to raise your kids to love Jesus. Today it takes courage to avoid temptation in your life because it's everywhere. It takes courage to stand up for injustice in the world around us. It takes courage to share the gospel. It takes courage to speak words without profanity. It takes courage to admit when you've made a mistake and to issue an apology. It takes courage to believe in the truth. To simply believe in right and wrong and say that you believe in truth, it takes courage. It takes courage to serve in your church. 
Today it takes courage to know how to deal with criticism that comes our way. It takes courage to to suffer an illness in life, doesn't it? Or to watch a loved one suffer from an illness. You see, it's much easier to, to put on the lion costume and yet on the inside still be a coward. It's difficult to have courage these days. Why is it so hard these days to be a lion? Why is it so hard to have courage? In your bulletin this morning, I want to offer two suggestions to you. Why is it so hard to be brave these days? Two suggestions. First of all, as we look at the climate of our culture, our culture has replaced courage with consensus and compromise. Our culture has replaced courage with consensus and compromise. What is consensus? Consensus says, well, what do you think? I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think that maybe this. Well, I think maybe this. So you go through life and you have a lot of maybes, but you kind of do it together because there's enough of you to do it. That's what consensus is. And Crawford Loritz spoke here a few years ago for an evening service during a National Day of Prayer event. And some of you will remember him, but I, I recently heard him give an assessment of where our culture is at and even our churches in America. And I wanted you to see his assessment, so I put it on the screen for you. He said these words. He said, I am terribly concerned about this epidemic of weakness that has come over men in our culture. I am terribly concerned about this epidemic of weakness in our pulpits. I am not talking about being obnoxious, and I'm not talking about being unkind, and I'm not talking about being some sawed-off Caesar. But I am talking about this dastardly tendency that's sweeping over the entire body of Christ where we don't have the courage of our convictions. And we are creating a whole generation with this journey mindset. We've allowed our sociological constructs to dictate to us our leadership, what our leadership philosophies ought to be. So what we have in our churches and in our pulpits are people who are reflecting the new norms of society rather than leading the charge. And the reason that we are getting discouraged is that we are sick and tired of prostituting ourselves at the shrine of acceptable behavior. We have sanitized a lack of commitment, so we are afraid to lead and make decisions. Consensus has a stranglehold around what we do. We reduce our, our theology so others may agree with us. And I think what he is saying there is that we have so allowed others to define us. When your decisions are guided by consensus, you're letting others define you. When your life is governed by compromise, you are letting others define you. But the culture does not bring definition to the soul of a Christian because the God of the universe is the one who brings definition to the soul. And so in this culture of consensus and compromise, courage can be difficult, right? But there's a second reason I want to give you this morning why I think it's a challenge to be courage, to be, have courage, because our thinking about Jesus has changed ever so slightly. Uh, our Christ of courage has been replaced by a counterfeit. Our Christ of courage has been replaced by a counterfeit. A counterfeit is something that is similar to the original, 
but because it lacks a few essential traits, it is not authentic. Through the years and through the decades, what has happened to the reputation of Jesus Christ? Is the Christ who is continually being presented to us, is it an accurate picture of who Jesus Christ really is? There was a lady by the name of Dorothy Sayers, and uh, she was actually a contemporary of C.S. Lewis and a personal friend. Some have said she was the female version of C.S. Lewis. And she wrote about this, and I love her words. I want you to look at them on the screen. She said this, The people who hanged Christ never accused him of being a bore. On the contrary, they thought him to be too dynamic to be safe. It's been left to later generations to mess that all up. Shattering personality and surrounding him with the atmosphere of tedium, we have very efficiently paired the claws of the Lion of Judah. Certified him meek and mild and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pious old ladies. No offense to any pious old ladies out there this morning. But those who knew Jesus in no way suggested a milk and water person. They had objected to him as a dangerous firebrand. True, he was tender to the unfortunate, patient with inquirers, and humble before heaven. But he insulted respectable clergy by calling them a brand of hypocrites. He called Herod an old fox. He went to parties in disreputable company and was looked upon as a gluttonous man, a friend of sinners. He insulted indignant tradesmen and threw them and all their belongings out of the temple. That's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus was. Is that the, the Jesus you think of when you hear his name? How we think about our leader affects how we think about courage this morning. And the climate of our thinking is, is not unsimilar today to what it was in the time of Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. Because the, the Israelites had wandered in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years, and they had lived by consensus, the consensus of complaining. They had lived by compromise. You remember how they downgraded the glory of Almighty God to the level of an idol in Egypt. And though it culminated in the manufacturing of that golden calf, and well, at that moment, they claimed to be worshiping Jehovah God. They compromised. And Moses came down from the mountain and he shattered the tablets. In short, the people, the people had lost courage. Nothing in your life will happen without courage. Nothing in your life will happen without courage. As we look at this passage, God is talking to Joshua and he pulls him aside in, in a personal way. I love how in a personal way he begins to talk with him. He gives him the principles of courage. Courage is flowing through this entire passage in Joshua chapter 1 of God speaking to Joshua. And so the first thing that we find in this passage this morning is that courage, principle number one, courage is found in a command. Courage is found in a command. Or to put it another way, God is not encouraging Joshua to have courage. He's commanding Joshua to have courage. What does that imply? It implies an obligation on the heart and mind of Joshua. 
verse 9, God said to Joshua, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Webster's Dictionary says, Courage is the ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. Another definition says, Courage is the mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. So what's the difference between encouraging and and commanding? We could put it this way for all the kids and teenagers that are here maybe this morning. Um, There are times when mom and dad make suggestions to you, right? And then there are times that mom and dad give you instructions. And sometimes you get the two mixed up, but let's say they're, they're leaving and they say, you know what? If you have time this afternoon, if it fits into your schedule, it would be great if you would just clean your room. And you're thinking, great, I can clean my room tomorrow. I can clean my room today. Or I don't have to clean my room at all. It doesn't sound like it's all that important. But then there are times where mom and dad say, you will not do anything else today. You will not go outside. You will not be able to have any electronic device in your hands until your room is clean. And if you do... There will be consequences. The trouble happens when you forget the difference between instruction and encouragement, right? And so uh, today, God here is not giving a suggestion to Joshua as if to say, you know, Joshua, at times that battle's going to be tough, and those Canaanites, when you get over there, they might not roll out the red carpet for you, and it might be a good idea if in some way, shape, or form, you could maybe generate some courage. Because this is not a self-help talk between God and Joshua. What he is saying here, this is a command. And in a command, there's clarity. Because at least as I understand God, he would not command us to do something that is impossible. He expects us to do what he knows we can do. Earlier in this passage in verse 6, God commands Joshua, Be strong and courageous, For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. I love how he says that. Not just be courageous, but be very courageous. A command of God, when I hear that phrase, very courageous, I think of the word purpose. I think a command of God gives purpose in life. God gave this command to Joshua, then Joshua had a mission And from that, Joshua had purpose. I didn't know the statistic, but I heard that between 2006 and 2016, the suicide rate for young people has tripled in the United States. Tripled. Our young people are growing up and not having a purpose. Not having a mission in life. We have not given them something to care about. And we need to always remember, I heard it said, if we don't teach men to build, they will destroy. When you watch a young toddler play with blocks, he takes those and he stacks one on top of the other. And then what does he do? He knocks them down. And then he builds them back up and he knocks them down. It's in the nature of a young boy to do that. And boys that grow into men will either build up or they will destroy. And when a command of God is extended from the, uh, the hand of Almighty God into the heart of a man, 
Do you know what happens? Purpose is put in the heart. Courage is found in a command this morning. Principle number two, courage is found in the right kind of fear. Courage is found in the right kind of fear. Uh, because you see, in addition to the two positive commands that are there are also two negative commands that God gave Joshua in this passage. The first one is, do not be frightened. The second, do not be dismayed. And the Bible is full of commands, right? Old, New Testament, Bible is full of commands. Do not lie, do not steal, love your enemies, do not murder. But the most frequent command in the Bible, do not be afraid. The most frequent command. There's a story about a traveling circus troupe by the name of the Flying Walendas. Some of you may have heard of them. They came from Europe decades ago in Germany, and they performed in the Barnum and Bailey Circus as tightrope walkers. And the patriarch of the family's name was Carl Walenda, and he was the driving force behind the act. And while they were, uh, they were one of the first ones to actually perform on the tightrope without the safety net underneath. But Carl Willenda was known to have no fear when he would walk across the tightrope. And their family had many incidents. There was people in their troop that were killed and had fallen. There was an accident in Detroit where two or three people were killed. His own son was paralyzed. And yet he kept on performing. And at one time when he was in his 60s, they actually stretched a tightrope across the gorge in Georgia. And he went across it and two times did a headstand. And then in Puerto Rico, and I believe 1978, he was promoting an event there and they stretched a tightrope between two towers in a well-known hotel there. And he began to walk across, and this area was known for its high winds near the ocean that would come in. And so there were spectators watching. And as he was walking across there as a 73-year-old man, the wind began to blow and he crouched down and he fell off the tightrope, plunging to his death at 121 feet. And a few years after that, his wife was talking about the ins this, this uh, tragedy. And she said the reason he fell that day is that was the only day that he ever went on a tightrope with fear in his heart. And I want us to see this morning that fear affects your performance. Fear affects your performance. That's why we're told around, around 365 times in the Bible, some form of do not be afraid. How do I know that? I counted them this morning on my way to church. Not really, not really. We're told that so much because we have a lot of fear in our lives, don't we? And yet, think of this. At the same time, we're told throughout Scripture, fear God, fear God, don't be afraid. Fear God, fear God, don't be afraid. So which is it? Are we supposed to have fear or are we not supposed to have fear? Are we supposed to fear... What, what's, what's, the, what's the answer? The answer is that you're to have the right kind of fear. If you want courage, don't fear things, don't fear circumstances, don't fear people, but fear God. 
You could say this, honor God, reverence God, worship God, hold God in high esteem. Oswald Chambers was known for his devotional book, My Utmost for His, his Highest, and he said it like this, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Is there a lot of fear in life? When you get the chance and you're extremely bored, look up all the phobias on the internet. There's all kinds of them out there. I looked up a few. Eltophobia is not the fear of eltos, but the fear of heights. Acluophobia, the fear of darkness. Here's one I can relate to. Dentophobia, the fear of dentists. A few weeks ago, I went to the dentist, and I didn't even realize I had agreed to this, but he said, we're going to take out those old fillings, those two fillings in your mouth and replace them. And I thought to myself, well, that'll probably take 10 minutes. And an hour and a half later, I could not feel the bottom half of my face. And I could not speak because my tongue was not talking to my brain. And the dentist looks at me and laughs and says, you, I hope you don't have any plans for tonight. Because you're not going to be eating for at least three hours. And he was right. I tried to eat and I was biting my tongue. Dentists are horrible, horrible people. <laughs> I've got to be careful. He said he would come to church sometime. But uh, if you are here, I love my new fillings, Dr. John. They work almost as good as my old ones. Thank you. Gamophobia. The fear of marriage. Pyrophobia, the fear of fire. Sermophobia, the fear of preaching. I just made that one up right now. Seismophobia, the fear of earthquakes. Arachibutroopiophobia, the fear of peanut butter getting sucked to the roof of your mouth. And then there's this one. Hippopotamomonstrosaquipedaliophobia, the fear of long words. There's a lot to fear out there, isn't there? There's a lot to fear, but this is the good news, guys. The more you fear God, the less that you fear all those other things that are out there. That's why Jesus told us in Luke 12, verses 4 and 5, he said, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you, but I will warn you whom you are to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him, Jesus said. Reminds me of the story of the lion, the witch, and the, and the, the wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. And there's, two, there's these two characters, Susie and Lucy, and they met, they met this beaver in the land of Narnia. And they begin talking to this beaver when suddenly the beaver mentions the name Aslan. And things get quiet. And the girls ask, well, is he a man? And the beaver says, certainly not. He's the king of the woods. Don't you know who is the king of the beast? Aslan is a lion. He said, the lion, the great lion. Susan and Lucy then ask, is he safe? Is he safe? The answer who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. 
but he is good. I tell you, he's the king. You see, we fear a God, and he's not safe, but he is good. And if you fear him, you'll get courage. Courage is found in a command. Courage is found in the right kind of fear. And principle number three, courage is found in God's assignments. Courage is found in God's assignments. There is no such thing as courage apart from God's assignments. There is no such thing as courage apart from God's assignments. You know, in other words, we are not just courageous for the sake of being courageous. We're always courageous for something. For Joshua, he was given this immense assignment from God. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan. But before he said that, he said this, Moses, my servant, is dead. God's mission for his people did not die with Moses, did it? It didn't die with Moses. Do you know how many of God's assignments depend on God's people? Absolutely zero. Goose egg. Nothing. The people are concerned that Moses is dead, but God is not concerned. It was just a few weeks ago, I I and probably many of you watched the, the funeral of Billy Graham. No person has spoken to more people in all of history than Billy Graham. And I love the fact that every time he would open his mouth, he would be sharing the gospel and people would be coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But does God's work stop when one servant dies? It doesn't, does it? It's not about the servant. It's not about the servant. It's about the service. It's about the work. People come and go, but the work continues on. And knowing the nature, knowing the nature of the work is what gives us courage in life. Knowing the nature of the work. Did you ever think like I have that maybe something that you're doing for God doesn't have anything to do with you? Like maybe it has to do with maybe a parent who prayed for you or a grandparent or a great-grandparent or you're a part of something that started far beyond you and now you're left on the scene realizing it's really not about you. It's about something that someone else had done a long time ago. It's humbling to think like that, isn't it? But it's necessary to think that way, to have courage because the work is not about us. And Joshua, he knew he came in late in the game. This wasn't really all about him. He knew it was about the one who initiated all this. And so God says to Joshua, Go, therefore, arise over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I'm about to give you. There's a passage in the New Testament that we hear quite a a lot, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. And then there's this next part of the passage. We don't talk about as much, but he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And then this is what he says, Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The work that God intends for you to do, he actually prepared ahead of time for you. And one commentator says this implies two things, obligation and choice. Obligation and choice. 
You should walk in them. Will you? Will you walk in them? Because you see, there's this word that you want to avoid in life. It's this word on the screen, regret. Regret. This is an ugly word. You don't want any part of this word. This is where people who are given an assignment from God don't seize the opportunity. And they miss out because you know why? God said he was going to go with you. And you're missing that experience of walking into the assignment from God without him being by your side. And that's an experience you don't want to miss out on. I love what he said to Joshua. No one shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Elizabeth Elliot said, Joshua wasn't going into a playground. He was going into a battlefield that God was going to go with him. God was going to go with him. You can't look at the land forever, can you? Eventually, you're going to need to cross the river. Ready, set, go. There's something that God has put in your heart to do. There's something that he's prepared in advance for you to do. And it's probably going to look more like a battlefield than a playground. But wherever God calls you, he's going to go with you. Because courage is found in God's assignment. Principle number four, and we close with this this morning. Courage is found in something other than courage. Courage is found in something other than courage. This might be the most important aspects to understanding courage this morning, but courage, you see, is a virtue that is derived from seeking something other than courage. You see, courage, you see, faith gives courage. Trust gives courage. Seeking courage does not give you courage, but seeking faith, seeking God is what gives courage. He was, for Joshua, he was not just about to be courageous, but in verse 7, he told him what his mind was to be on. He, it was God's word that he was to think about. Meditate on it day and night. It was God's word that he was to speak about. Do not let it depart from your mouth. It was God's word that he was to obey. Be careful to do according to all that is written. And my guess is that Joshua didn't talk a lot about courage on the other side of the Jordan River. But my guess is that he talked a whole lot about God's word on the other side of the river. Because that is what gave him courage. That's what gave him courage. At the beginning this morning, I told you about my grandfather who taught me courage. And he had some really crazy stories. But I can tell you, I know where he found his courage. Because every morning before dawn, he would get up and he actually would go down to the cellar in the basement and he would start the fire in the furnace to bring warmth to the house. And then he would open up his Bible and he'd stand in front of that furnace and he would read his Bible and he'd stoke the fire and he'd read his Bible and he'd stoke the fire and he recorded notes of all that God was teaching him. And it gave him courage as a person who had only an eighth grade education to be an evangelist. And everywhere he went, he was sharing Christ with people that he knew. Because he wasn't just stoking a fire, he was stoking his soul. And it was giving him 
courage. So this morning, where are you getting your courage from? I think of Jesus Christ who went to the cross and the courage that he had, that he was willing to endure the nails, endure the insults, and demonstrate in an amazing way what courage really is so that there would be a place for us to place our faith and trust, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Taking that step, a belief in Christ takes courage. So would you bow your heads with me this morning as we close? We're out of time. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says, The righteous are as bold as a lion. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Courage is something that God gives his children. God gave it to a young Jewish girl in the palace of a king, and she saved a nation. Esther saved the nation. God gave courage to a, a man named Joshua, and he conquered a land. He gave courage to a shepherd boy named David, and a giant fell. And I look at my own life, and I realize I could have done so much more if I just would have had more courage. If I just would have had more faith, if I just would have had more trust. And however many more years God gives me, I want them to be courageous years. However many more years the Lord gives you, I want them to be courageous years for you. And God is saying to us this morning, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, as we have spent time in your word, we have this request. That you would help us to lace up our courage shoes so that we can go places you've told us to do and do the things that you've asked us to do. That we can be your people and we ask that you would minimize the defeats and maximize the victories. All for your glory we pray in Jesus' name.